Hey, welcome to episode 10 of the Hockey Free-For-All podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Stiles, and in this episode, we're going to talk about things such as salaries, contracts, trades, defensive pairings, goaltending, forward line combinations, possibly, as far as the projections of those. Obviously, we don't know what those are going to be yet until the actual regular season starts, and we'll talk about some memorable and historical events as well. So this is probably going to end up being part one of part two, because as I was putting this show together, I'm like, wow, there is a lot of content to cover. And without turning it into a very long session, which I know some people don't really prefer, I said, I'm thinking this might end up being part one of part two. So we'll see how this goes. So let's start with the formality of preseason physicals. There's a kind of an unusual topic to kick off with. And it seems like barring the surprise of a lifetime, time, Carey Price is going to be placed on season-ending LTIR and probably has a very slim chance of passing his physical. That seems to be surprising some people. There still seems to be some people that want to believe he's going to be okay and play the season. I don't think those days are coming back, to be quite honest with you. The best impact of him going on LTIR, of course, is his annual $10.5 million salary gets removed or does not impact, if you will, the team cap or team payroll. Likely, and almost immediately after that, he'll probably have a couple of friends joining him on LTIR, and that'll be Paul Byron and Sean Monahan. will also very likely at least start the season on LTIR as they have some injuries that they're wrapping up or hopefully for them coming to a conclusion. And of course the benefits there, just like Carey Price's salary, their salaries of $3.4 million and $6.3 million respectively will also then come off the team payroll. So there's kind of like a nice $20.2 million cushion there. Now that being said, that certainly does not justify going out and spending all of that money and again continuing to put the Canadians in a bad spot uh, payroll-wise or with excessive expenses. What would be really nice to see in the 2022-2023 season is a roster where everyone is all in every game. One of the problems with last year's roster is there just seemed to be a theme of everyone was lost until Martin St. Louis came in as coach. What would be really nice to see in the 2022 and 2023 season is a player roster list for the team where everybody is all in and the endless excuses stop. There is no more excuses as far as not getting up for certain games, loss of confidence. Well, whatever I do at this point makes no difference based on where we are in the standings. It's somebody else's fault. I'm not playing with the right players. It's time to man up. And that should be one thing that changes radically this year. And I think will under the coaching staff of Martin St. Louis. As far as Dominic Ducharme is concerned, there's been a lot of comments made. I think, honestly, he just lost the room. And I think he lost the room in 2021. And I believe that that playoff run that resulted in the Canadians going to the Stanley Cup finals that season was the one-for-all, all-for-one rally team attitude under the coaching of Luke Richardson. I, I think, honestly, that was something to get behind, something to make the players play hard, something to make their efforts increase drastically that they just didn't have under Ducharme. And when Ducharme came back during the playoffs, because everybody's like, well, he did 
come back. True. But I think they were still on the emotional ride and the support and getting behind Luke Richardson. That just continued through the playoffs. I don't think Dominic Ducharme had the locker room or the players' ears very long. And when players tune somebody out, it just usually doesn't turn out well. So I, I think that was the problem under Ducharme. St. Louis, as everybody knows from the moment he walked in the dressing room last year to walking out on stage this summer at the draft obviously very clear a fan favorite very clear has an ability to rally people very clearly has a relation and is able to relate to not only the players but to the fans and everybody in between speaking of players let's talk about salaries so montreal has finally signed kirby doc uh, i can't say i was expecting the salary that he signed i was thinking his salary would be closer to two million dollars or two 2.1 considering he was at 1.7 i struggle justifying a 3.36 million dollar contract on 26 points of production last year is his ceiling high yes it is is he that six foot four 200 pound plus center who's only 21 years old so there by definition there's a tremendous upside yes but he hasn't done anything yet the biggest problem i have with that contract is where that puts him in the future because he's virtually gotten a 100 percent raise on some very low production performances to this point it's all kind of based on what he's capable of and if you're going to give him a nearly 100 percent raise for what he's already done what's his next contract going to look like because not everybody on that team can be paid like nick suzuki or higher and nick suzuki has earned that contract kirby doc is not and the problem is you're looking down the road going you can be back in this situation of having a lot of expensive contracts and that's not good so the one thing i'm looking forward to is if kirby doc does actually start to produce but get, suddenly gets really greedy and wants that like seven to nine million dollar plus contract montreal can trade him at that point for a heck of a lot of assets and draft picks and maybe just moves away from them because you can't have everybody on the team making eight to ten million dollars it's just not going to happen you don't have the cap space and you obviously need a 20-man roster you can't have six or seven players taking up your entire team payroll i know a lot of people are projecting that since the cap has been dead basically the last couple of years that there's going to be massive increases on the cap coming but again, that is a projection and unknown. There's no way to know that until somebody says, oh yeah, the cap's going up by whatever that number happens to be, fill in the blank. But that that contract number surprised me a lot for a guy that only scored or produced a total of 26 points with nine goals and 17 assists. And he was a minus 18. So it's not like he stood out on faceoffs either. And one of the reasons that surprises me is if you look at a very similar output total production from Jake Evans last year, who had 13 goals, 16 assists for 29 points in 72 games versus the nine goals, 17 assists for 26 points in 70 games that Doc had. Evans is making $1.7 million. So I figured, all right, well, you move Doc up to $2 million, call it a day. So that, that contract is very surprising to me. Very surprising. Hitting on the next issue regarding the 2022-2023 season seems to be this dim, depressing, dark view that people have about the roster and the season. Everybody wants to talk about how the defense Defense is going to be far worse. I have no idea how that's possible. We'll get back to that in depth. There's way too many players already and no room for anybody to make the team, maybe other than Yurav Slavkowski. Maybe that's true. But I think what some people have to realize, and some people are going to find this an insulting concept, is that a lot of the players in Montreal, both 
defensively and offensively are placeholders. They're placehold players. They are buying time for the Rafael Harvey Pinards, the Jesse Iwanans, and others to make their way and take those roster spots. When those players are ready or Montreal receives the trade value that they want from one of the placeholders, you'll see the changes on the roster. Really believe that's what this season's going to be about. I think people have to start getting excited about something other than wins, losses, and total points and where the team sits in the standings. Because the team really is in a place and a time that that's not really something to be concerned about. They have a lot of work to do. They've already done a lot of work, but there's still a lot more to be done. And I think they've laid the groundwork and made a lot of changes, but the transition obviously is very far from being done. I think the most important position of the team this year is going to be what do you do with goaltending? Not just because Carey Price is on long-term LTIR, but because I don't think Jake Allen is going to be around the whole season. And I don't think Jake Allen really wants to be on a transitional team. I think Jake Allen is going to be a very good chip as far as at the trade deadline. I think Jake Allen has already had a lot of interest towards him as far as an acquisition player. So that bodes well, honestly, for Montreal. I think that's Jake Allen's biggest value to Montreal right now is what they can get in return for him. That's the main advantage that he offers. That sounds mean because he's also a really good goaltender, but I think last year showed that he has some limitations as to physical endurance that I don't think allows him to be a 50 or 60 goal per game player. I just I just don't see that as his kind of makeup, if you will. So with that said, who's going to be the goaltender? I don't think Sam Montembeau has number one goaltending ability in the NHL. I think he's a capable backup. I think he can steal a game for you from time to time, which he did several times last year. But I don't think he's going to be your answer as the next number one goaltender. Caden Primo, of course, signed a contract today. But really, the only real measuring stick that they have, and I say they, that the management, the internal management group and player development has, is last year's playoffs. Yeah, if if Caden Primo can play like that all the time, I think there's something to be really excited about. I think there's a way to figure out where he fits into the puzzle. If that was a flash in the pan, that's not going to be good. The good news is, is I think Montreal has a lot of other prospects at the position of goal in their organization who might just leapfrog Caden Primo, such as Jacob Dobbs, Frederick Tachau, amongst others, I think have a legitimate shot. I, I think they could end up being kind of that next come out of nowhere surprise player like Yaroslav Halak was who was a seventh round or excuse me who was a ninth round pick in his draft year I think they have a couple of more people like that they may have found some diamonds in the rough in those draft years with those players who if I remember right are both fifth round draft picks I believe in their draft years but I think that's going to be the major position of question this year moving forward is What's coming in goal? Obviously, it doesn't stop there. And I believe that goaltending, though last year didn't surprise me that they didn't do much with drafting. They did draft one person in the later round. But I think this year with some of those second and third round picks or maybe even some of the extra first round picks, if they turn out to be like from the 28th to the 32nd pick, you might see a surprise pick. You might see the Canadians pick a goaltender at that point that they want to develop and might turn into the next 
Henrik Lundqvist, which wouldn't be a bad thing at all. Henrik Lundqvist, as I mentioned on my last episode, I think is one of the best goaltenders the NHL has seen and probably is one of the definitions of a money goaltender as well. I mean, he always is consistent as he was in the regular season, turned it up several notches in the playoffs. And I think Montreal's next goaltender is going to be a find, quite honestly, similar to... Henrik Lundqvist. If you like change, the 2022-2023 season is going to be a dream season for you. If you're the kind of person that likes to see change, likes to see lots of people given an opportunity, this is going to be a year to remember for anybody that likes that. Matter of fact, probably other than 1986 and 1993 in the last 42 years, this will probably be the most exciting season. You are going to see a level of change or a revolving door type scenario that may have never previously shown itself anywhere. By the end of the trade deadline for this 2022-2023 season, at a minimal, it would be difficult to imagine or believe that Jonathan Drouin, Evgeny Donatov, Paul Byron, Sean Monahan, Joel Armia, Jake Allen, Christian Dvorak, I know some people are going to disagree with this one, but Josh Anderson and Mike Hoffman have not been moved. And possibly even see the likes of Brendan Gallagher, Jake Evans, and Caden Primo. And I know the last two in particular probably surprise a lot of people. It's like, well, why would they move Jake Evans and why would they move Caden Primo? For different reasons. There, there's a couple of issues, and I like both players. I think both players are awesome. I think Jake Evans has turned out to be much more than normal expectations are for a seventh-round pick. I think Caden Primo has drawn a lot of excitement, kind of at one time was considered to be a diamond in the rough. For different reasons, I think moving both players might be the better option. First of all, there's a lot of players that can play the third or fourth line center positions that the Montreal Canadiens currently have and will have available to them. With that said, Jake Evans, like Ryan Paling, has had some concussion issues, has had some physical impacts, and he's still only in his mid-20s. That's got to be a concern long-term. Caden Primo, on the other hand, born in New Jersey. I can honestly see him requesting a trade to the Devils, or I can honestly see him requesting a trade to the Philadelphia Flyers, where his dad and his uncles played. It just, I have no reason other than a gut feeling for that. It's not like I have some kind of weird inside information or anything. Just for some reason, those are two players that I think nobody expects to be traded that would not surprise me if also went with the rest of those players. The majority of those players obviously are going to be traded because of contracts. Some of the contracts are running out. Some of the contracts aren't. But obviously Montreal is going to want to obtain any and all draft picks and assets that they can rather than just losing those players for free. The scary part of that news is the amount of money that the Canadians will then have available to them under the cap that suddenly I have no doubt next summer you're going to hear, oh, the Canadians need to spend all that. They need to be wildly active in the free agent market. No, they don't. No, they do not at all. I think a lot of people are forgetting players need to make sure there is a path for them who are already within an organization. And an organization needs to make sure there's a path for those players. If those players aren't ready, then yes, fine. Acquire somebody short term and fill in the time gap. However, if those players are as good as what you already have or as good 
is what you're going to acquire or are ready to make the team, why hold them back? There, there seems to be a huge parental type attitude that I don't understand. Why would anybody think they should be able to hold somebody back because they personally think something, good or bad? That's not the way it works. If a player presents the skills and the ability, that player plays. It's not that somebody thinks it's like, well, you know, I brought up my kids with this attitude of like, well, you know, you can never be too secure. You can never be too safe. You can never have too much fill in the blank, whatever it is. That's wrong. You put people in positions to win. You put people in positions when they're ready for it. You don't hold people back. Because when you hold people back, that's when conversations like, yeah, don't go to that organization. You never get a chance. Don't go to that organization. They're going to hold you back and your career is going to start way later than it should have. Just like people are extremely overly emotional right now that Carey Price's career is likely over with. They cannot believe his career is already done. Well, one of the most basic things about an athlete's career it only has a certain time window and that time window is affected by abilities that time window is affected by injuries that time window is affected by the systems that they play in the talent that they have around them as to how their careers are going to go and how long they're going to last that's just a reality check and there's nothing anybody can do about it and that is generally the criteria that every athlete measures things by So with that said, let's get to one of the most interesting topics that people are just obsessed about, and that is, oh my God, the defense this year is going to be horrible. It's even going to be worse than last year. I don't know how that's possible. I mean, last year's defense was to say horrific or exceptionally bad might just be great understatements. So let's do a quick side-by-side comparison of last year's defensive group versus what could be a very likely group that one could see this year. So last year's group consisted of Shea Weber, injured all year, never played, was hardly ever around the team. Jeff Petrie, who made a demand to be traded, didn't want to stand up for his fellow team members. And as an example, that in case everybody's like, what do you mean? In your mind, or perhaps if you have the ability and because you recorded the game, go back to that Montreal-Columbus game in Columbus and notice how he just provided no support to his players, literally skated back towards the bench, kind of shrugging his shoulders with this, I don't care, defend yourself type attitude. Really? That That's an allowable response? That seems to be a kind of an I don't care attitude, to say the least. David Savard, who was not having a good season until, ironically, Martin St. Louis got there, he was a totally different defenseman under St. Louis than he was under Dominic Ducharme, which is bizarre because neither one of those coaches directly coaches the defense. Luke Richardson does. So why St. Louis made such a difference for David Savard, but when St. Louis came in, you could definitely see the difference in... David Savard's game. I mean, it was like a tale of two seasons for him. Under Dominic Ducharme, the guy was a ghost, hardly ever around, just kind of like looked lost on the ice. St. Louis got there and suddenly he came alive. You're like, whoa, where, where was this guy all season? You also had Chris Weidman, who was one of the few surprises last year, produced a lot more than anybody thought that he would. Everybody thought, ah, this guy's just going to be, maybe play one game in every five to ten games, kind of be like a fill-in. He played more than a lot of people expected. You had Corey Shermerman, who actually wanted to be there, established himself, was a fluid skater, didn't look out of place at all, skated better than most on the existing defense. You had Joel Edmondson, who was out 
the majority of the year, but when he returned, looked like he had missed the game. He looked like a automatic stabilizing force, was an automatic leader of the defense, kind of looked like he took charge of guys. This is just unacceptable. We can do better than this. You had Alexander Romanov, who played top four minutes, made a lot of progress in his game, was by far the hardest hitter and the most often hitter on the defense against other players. You had Brett Kulak, who was a good skating defenseman, could move up and down the line, just never seemed to look completely comfortable, never got to play consistently under Dominic Ducharme, and unfortunately just kind of became an extra. And then finally, at the end of the year, you had Jordan Harris, who stepped right in, did not look out of place on the ice, did not look out of place in interviews, played the transition game, and was by far the best skater on the defense. And any time Suzuki and Caulfield were on the ice, seemed to just automatically fit in like he was part of the puzzle as their defenseman on the ice. I mean, meshed extremely well. Now, in addition to that, you also had Justin Baran, but he seemed to have some kind of undisclosed injury that really never let him catch fire, really never let him get into any kind of groove, so it would be unfair to grade his performance last year. Now, let's look at the defense this year with a potential group. Not saying it will be the group, but it could very easily be the group, especially if you believe in not rushing lots of young prospects. Okay, Now this year's group that many are just losing their mind over and coming unglued about, here's a projected top six. Obviously we won't know that as far as who the real six are that are named until the season starts, but here's a potential pairing or six guys that you can see playing on the defense. Corey Shermerman on the right, even though he's a left defenseman, he can also play the right. I think he's going to get paired with Joel Edmondson. David Savard, I think he's going to get paired with Mike Matheson. Chris Weidman, I think he's going to get paired with Jordan Harris. Those pairings and those six players, if they turned out to be named for the defense starting, would not surprise me in the least. I also happen to believe, though, that Edmondson, Savard, Weidman, and maybe even Schumerman and Matheson are also placeholders. I don't think they're going to be there that long. I think Harris, out of that group, is the only one that's there longer than three to four years, honestly. But with that said, how is that group going to possibly be worse than last year's group? They're younger. They're better skaters as a group, so they're better in the transition game. Matheson will replace any and all offense from Jeff Petrie. Jordan Harris is only going to get better, and I believe will move up the line or move up the lineup throughout the season. As long as the injuries are less than last year, it's got to be a better year for Joel Edmondson, who hardly played last year. How's that going to be worse? And what's with the, now that Jeff Petrie's been traded, there's this huge void on the right side of the defense. Why can't Weidman, Savard, Schumerman, I mean, there's left-handed defensemen can play both right and left a lot easier than a right-handed defenseman can play left. So you've got many choices. But those six defensemen, if you notice that I mentioned, only Jordan Harris is one of the young prospects. I will say this about a lot of the other prospects that people suddenly have this fear of bringing up too many. I think there's areas of every other prospect's game that could benefit from a year of playing in Lavelle, a year from coaching from J.F. Uhl, a year from working on their flaws. Jordan Harris, there's nothing for him to learn at the AHL level. He's ready. He is ready to play in the NHL as he proved playing 10 games last year. The guy did not look out of place on the ice at 
any time. Any time. So I don't know if there's anybody that thinks Jordan Harris should be in the AHL to start the season. I think they're nuts, okay? But for all the other defensive prospects other than Jordan Harris, could a year in the veil, getting used to the ring size for some, maybe rounding out their skill set, maybe getting physically stronger and more durable so they're not susceptible to injuries like you've seen other younger players get to and then subsequently derails their whole career or sets them back significantly. Yeah, everybody else. And that goes for even Caden Gooley. Caden Gooley had a great training camp last year, but Caden Gooley was also injured a lot this year. Injured a lot. If I remember right, only played 25 regular season games in addition to Memorial Cup playoffs and other tournaments and things like that. He was injured a lot, so that would concern me a little bit that maybe he needs a little bit more physical development, a little bit more strength conditioning to maybe set him up so he doesn't get injured and his career suddenly doesn't go off the tracks very early and never becomes the player that a lot of people think he can be. Because I truly believe Caden Gooley is a Shea Weber type clone. I'm not saying he's going to be exactly like him, but he's that kind of defenseman. And I believe he at worst is a number two and potentially is a number one defenseman. And regarding all the people, it's like, oh, we got to go out and get another veteran defenseman. Well, the group that I just presented is a potential projected lineup. Doesn't even include Otto Leskinen, Madison Bowie, Gianni Fairbrother. You got depth. I mean, honestly, those three guys that I just mentioned, will there be something better elsewhere than those three for the Montreal Canadiens to get? And Otto Leskinen and Madison Bowie are not young. They're not real old, but they're in their 20s. So they're right in those mid-20s and I don't think there's going to be a problem with them being able to step up like they're too young or anything else. And again, this is a season where it's not about wins and losses. It's about developments. It's about seeing what the organization has top to bottom at the NHL and AHL levels. That's what this season's about. I think that's really exciting knowing that you have the potential to see that many different players, that you have the potential of actually seeing the Canadians modernize their team and actually know what they have talent-wise and understand all their weaknesses and strengths. Personally, I think that's something very exciting. Maybe I'm just odd that way. But I think a lot of people should get excited about that because I think that makes for an incredible experience. To be honest, as a fan, you are likely to see a lot of players that you normally wouldn't see that many of in a year because of what the Canadians are going through. But they do not need to go out and acquire more veteran players, thereby that doesn't provide younger players the opportunity to showcase their skills or taking on longer contracts. I mean, at what point do you give players the ability to showcase themselves? If they never have that ability, why would they want to play there? Why would they want to play in any city that does that to them? But there really needs to be a stop to this parental type attitude. Like somebody's judging their own children. That is just a bizarre behavior to me. With that said, I mentioned earlier that I believe the focus this year will be on goaltending and the forward groups. I believe the goaltending group at this point is not complete. I think there's a trade coming. So for all these people that think, oh, are there any more trades coming? Are your Montreal going to make any more movement before the season? I think there's one potential trade that could occur before the season. And that would be either Montreal moves Joel Armia, or if Vancouver wants a younger player, Jake Evans, 
but I think it's going to be Joel Armia because Vancouver has a fair amount of Europeans. I think it'll better mesh with their team. I think there'll be better chemistry. So I think Armia goes to Vancouver and Montreal acquires goaltending prospect Michael DiPietro, who may very well turn out to be the primary goaltender for Montreal this year if they acquire him. Obviously, at this point, that's an unknown. But I think acquiring DiPietro might be the answer temporarily to the goaltending situation at least for this season and that gives you this season the draft and all that to work on for the following season but right now honestly I just don't see Alan Montebeau or Primo as the solution to goaltending issues I, I think there's too many injury issues I think there's too many age issues I think there's too many limitations on the amount of games and things people can play but again basically it's a free year and I, I say free year from the standpoint of basically it's a year where all of these types of things can be done and nobody's going to sit there and go, what in the hell are they doing? Because it needs to be done to know exactly what the organization has and where the organization needs to go. So to avoid this turning into an hour-long podcast session, we'll wrap up episode 10 at this point, and this will indeed become a part one of two-part episodes, and we'll be back with part two in episode 11. I'm your host, Stephen Stiles. Have a fantastic week, and thanks for tuning in. And I look forward to continuing this discussion next week, where we'll pick up with the forward line combinations 